We are so excited to have Katie Love join us today. She is a love and relationship coach. Katie, welcome to Results May Vary. Thank you so much, Katya. I'm so happy to be here. Can you tell us a little bit more about your story? I support individuals and couples to create and sustain fulfilling relationships to themselves, to one another, and to their life work. And I've been relationally oriented from a very young age. So I've been consistently in relationships since about the age of 16. And one of the things I realized very early on in my relationships was that I had a lot of easefulness with falling in love and a lot of difficulty with staying in love. So from a very young age, I started making lists of all of the attributes in relationships that had worked for me and all of the attributes that hadn't worked. So each time I would break up with a partner, I would reflect on the relationship and make these lists. And some of the things that really didn't work for me were a declining sexual attraction over time, also feeling a sense of conflict in the relationship, which led to an energetic depletion. I felt like a lot of energy was going into these relationships. And thirdly, a feeling of self-compromise. So I often felt in the gaps between relationships, like I was actually able to come into more of myself. And this just didn't feel right to me. It felt like a relationship should actually help me to amplify who I was, not create a contraction in my being. So fast forward to college, this fascination had continued to grow. I decided to do a research project to examine this question a little bit more deeply, how to make passionate love last long-term in relationships. And I did a research project based on literature, based on scientific studies that had been done, and also based on interviews that I did with about 20 couples, asking this question, can passionate love last in relationships? And I discovered that it can, but it's quite rare, and it's not the status quo of our relationships in our society. So fast forward a few more years, to about seven years ago, when I first became engaged in an organization, a school really, called Higher Alignment, which had done something similar to what I had done, but on a more massive scale. So this organization had studied 700 couples over a period of three years, looking at the factors that supported creative, fulfilling, passionate, sustained relationships and also looking at the factors that encouraged conflict, challenge, and the eventual termination of relationships. And I started studying this system and applying it in my own life and discovered the accuracy and deep wisdom and also comprehensiveness of this system. Now, shortly after this is when I met my current life partner, we're now in our fifth year of relationship with each other and seventh year of friendship. And all of these attributes that I had previously had wanted in my relationships were now coming to fruition and are still present. So where before there was declining sexual attraction, this relationship, there's been increasing sexual attraction. Where before there was this energy depletion and conflict, now there's this energy 
giving harmony, this life-giving love coming from this relationship. And where before there was self-compromise, now there's this sense, this experience of self-fulfillment and actually being able to do more, be more of myself in the world because of this relationship. As I started embodying what I was learning over this long course of life, I recognized that it wasn't just for myself that I had been learning these things. It was actually that I was meant to support other people in learning these things as well and make it more normal, make it more status quo to have long-term, passionate, deeply connected, co-creative relationships. Can you explain what a co-creative relationship is? What do you mean by that? I find it's helpful to first describe what it is not because most of us are more familiar with the not version than the is version of a co-creative relationship. So what a co-creative relationship is not is it is not a codependent relationship. And when I say codependent, what I mean is there's three levels of codependency that we see in relationships today. The first level of codependency are relationships that are based on safety. So we actually feel a sense of safety, physical safety by being with that partner. And these relationships that are codependent in terms of safety are relationships where we're choosing our parental patterns. So we're actually choosing partners that are really similar in certain ways to our parents, and therefore they make us feel safe. You know, whether or not they actually are safe is a different question, but they make us feel a sense of safety. The second layer of codependent relationships are security-based relationships. So relationships that are based in security are ones in which we're generally choosing polar opposite partners. So partners that are opposite to us in a multitude of ways. And we think that by choosing partners that are opposite to us, we're going to be able to, as a team, accomplish more. But what really ends up happening after a time is we can't really agree on anything. So it's really challenging to move forward. And those relationships have a lot of conflict and depletion of energy because we're very different people and we have trouble understanding one another. Now, the third layer of codependent relationships is codependency in self-importance. So at this level, we're choosing partners who make us feel important. They have similar passions, similar attributes to us, but eventually we end up learning that our life work, our creative alignment isn't fully there. So we end up separating and moving apart. But in all of these levels of codependency, there's something that we're requiring or expecting or needing of our partner in order to get a certain need met within us. And the difference between this and a co-creative relationship is a co-creative relationship isn't about compromising ourselves in any way. It's not about showing up in a way because our partner needs us to or wants us to. It's about showing up authentically as we are and coming together in our distinct ways of being to create something that's actually bigger than ourselves outside of the relationship. I'm thinking about all the couples and folks that may be in a new relationship, an old relationship, and they've been taken through this thing called COVID and it's put a lot of strain and, you know, they're just sort of navigating day by day. What do you advise people who perhaps can't spend a lot of time with you or, you know, just giving them basic advice? What's the first thing they would do? A good place to start is reflecting 
on your present relationship and reflecting on the energy that it takes you to be in that relationship. And so one of the things you can start to notice is when I'm with this person, how long does it take before I start to feel an energy depletion? And what are the triggers that are arising in terms of the relationship that are leading to that energy depletion? So what's showing up, what's happening that creates that sort of drop in energy and really noticing those places. Also noticing what are the energy giving parts of the relationship. So not just the energy depleting parts, but what are the energy giving parts and how can I amplify more of those energy giving parts in the relationship? So getting really practical and noticing that kind of on a moment to moment, day to day basis and starting to spend more time in the energy giving practices and activities with the partner and less time in the energy taking practices with the partner. So our pacing is how we process information. And some of us process large chunks of information over more time. Those are slower paced people. And some of us process smaller chunks of information over shorter periods of time. And we move quickly from one piece of information to the next. Those are faster paced people. So the population as a whole lies on a scale from zero to 100, and it's like a bell-shaped curve. So most people are somewhere in the middle between 40 and 60 pace, with fewer individuals tapering off on either end. And what happens is when we have a significant difference in pacing from our partner or from anyone with whom we're interacting, we will notice an energy depletion with that person. And the bigger the difference, the sooner we'll notice the energy depletion. So a big difference we would say is like more than 15 points. So what you can start, how you can start to look at this and play with this in your life is, is start to feel the pacing of people around you. So if you notice someone is changing the subject more often than you would, maybe they're talking a little faster than you would, maybe you're feeling a little bit exhausted in their presence, it's likely that they're faster paced than you. And if you're feeling frustrated, if you're feeling impatient, if you're feeling like you're completing people's sentences, it's likely that they're slower paced than you. And just this one factor alone, just pacing alone can have a huge impact on relationships. And this is a big factor that I work with in couples that I work with, looking at what's their pacing differential and how to manage their time with each other based on that. So one of the things that if, if I'm working with a couple that has a significantly different pace from one another, I will recommend that they notice when they start to feel the energy declining and that they take a break from each other. One of them goes for a walk or they just step away and go into separate rooms from one another so that they can recalibrate back to their home base pacing and regenerate their energy to come and be with that person in a more full way. Another way of working with it is couples that have a significantly different pace can spend a few nights a week sleeping separately from one another. Because when we sleep, our body naturally wants to calibrate back to its home base pacing. And if we're trying to sleep next to someone who has a significantly different pace than ours, that's going to be interrupted. So we're not actually going to get as quality of sleep, which is also going to negatively impact the relationship. I have a question. When we were talking about having you on, my big question really is what the heck is going on with everyone's relationships coming out of this pandemic? 
it seems like people are really talking about separating or it's a lot. What's going on? COVID has really been an amplifier in relationships. It has really amplified whatever is going on, whatever is true in their relationship. So anything that is not working has been amplified by COVID. Anything that is working has been amplified by COVID. So a lot of people are coming into the place of recognizing, actually, this isn't the right relationship for me because the challenges, the conflicts have been really amplified in this container of COVID in the world. What about COVID or the pandemic going through that experience do you think has brought this up for people? Because it seems like it's really, you know, people are really agonizing over this because we've already come out of a year and a half or so of dealing with the pandemic itself and all the stresses that came from that. And now they're in these situations where they're unsure about the person that they may be with. So yeah, what about the situation really caused clarity for some? First of all, just for a lot of people, the pandemic has caused them to be at home more and be spending more consistent consecutive time with their partners. So where they might have had more gaps, more time apart, now they're having more time together. And the things that were challenges are becoming more prevalent because they're not getting those breaks from one another. So that's a really big piece of it. Another big piece of it is what I've really noticed with my clients and in the world is COVID has been transformative for people in understanding what they don't want, who they're not in terms of their life work, in terms of their contributions. So as they've been letting go of what is no longer true for them in their work, they've also been realizing that in order to move forward into a deeper layer and level of their life work, that they need to shift their relationships. Sometimes shift, make a shift within the relationship they already have. And sometimes if that relationship isn't supporting them to grow into their life work in a bigger way, needing to shift out of the relationship completely. Should people assess if they're feeling low energy in their relationship that that should be considered problematic or, or that might just be a phase of the relationship? Can you talk a little mm -hmm. bit about the stages that relationships may go through? There's actually different levels of relationship that we naturally grow through as human beings. We see about four levels of relationship. And sometimes we can grow from one level to the next with a current partner. Sometimes we can't. Sometimes a relationship is really meant to be at a certain level with a certain person. And in order to move on to that next level of relationship in our own personal evolution, we actually have to shift relationships. So I'll speak about, you were speaking about the kind of the youthful relationship and the kind of older relationship that people have. I'm going to give a bit of a different terminology to that. So the four levels of relationship that we see are called, we'll say, the instinctive level relationship, the intellectual level relationship, the idealized level relationship, and the co-creative level relationship. And I'll go into a little bit more detail about each of those. So at the instinctive level, we're generally choosing partners that are our parental patterns. We're choosing partners that feel safe and that we feel an instinctive primal sexual attraction to. So the culmination of this level is lovers. We have an experience of having a lover at this level. 
The next level that we move up to is the intellectual level of relationship. At this level, this is where we're choosing those polar opposite partners. We're choosing people who are very different from us and we perceive that to be complementary to us so that we can hopefully accomplish more together. But as I said before, we end up having more conflict, more challenge, not being able to be in agreement with each other at this level of relationship. The culmination of this level is security partners. So we're finding people who make us feel secure. Usually there's a masculine and a feminine side to this. There's a security from an emotional perspective from the feminine side, and there's a sense of security from a more intellectual, logical perspective, thought-based perspective from the masculine side. So the next level up of relationship is what we call the idealized level of relationship. And this is where we really start getting into, into creative compatibility and creative alignment in certain ways where we feel a resonance and passion with this person. We feel like we get each other, we see each other, we experience life in a similar way. And the culmination at this level is partners in growth. So we can really feel ourselves no longer being energetically depleted by the relationship, but actually growing together through our evolution, through our spiritual process, through our life lessons. And then the final level of relationship that we see on earth is the co-creative level of relationship. So this is where we're recognizing the alignment, the synergy in our life work with one another or in developing community with one another or in creating something together with one another. And there's a strong resonance, there's a strong connection and we can show up fully as ourselves without compromise and our partner's doing the same. And we can flow into the relationship with one another, but we can also flow out of it at times. So it's not about always being together, having the expectation that we're always gonna be showing up with one another. It's more of a dance of moving together in the areas where we're creatively aligned to contribute and then moving apart when our creativity and contributions diverge and then coming back together when they come together again. So they build over time. So starting at the bottom with the instinctive, that's the first level, and then they build up from there. And hopefully our successive relationships transcend and include the previous levels. So hopefully when we move from being a lover to being a security partner, we're still lovers with that security partner. <laughs> and then when we move from being a security partner to a partner in growth, we still experience security and lovership with that partner in growth. So it does, it is an evolution. It's not like we bounce between the levels. However, when we are connected with people with whom we have stronger creative alignment, we can access those higher levels more quickly than if we don't have creative alignment with those individuals. Like our nat if our natural design is synergistic with another person. And I, so the interesting thing here is we have a lot of people in our lives already with whom we're creatively aligned. Usually they're our friends. For some reason in our, in our design and in our cultural expectations of what a relationship is supposed to be, we don't usually initially choose partners with whom we're strongly creatively aligned. However, our best friends 
our closest business associates, those with whom we can be the most creative, we have that natural creative alignment. So it's like instinctively, innately, we each have a sense of those individuals with whom we're creatively aligned, but we haven't quite learned without support how to choose partners who, how to choose relationship partners who have that degree of creative alignment. You were mentioning at the beginning of the interview, looking at having the relationship continue to be passionate and love-based in the duration. You were mentioning your current relationship, which is several years in, is even more loving and more passionate than at the beginning, which is the opposite of what most people think about in society or talk about or is shown in in the media. Yeah, so I, I can speak to some of the things that really support that, that really support the longevity of passion and love in relationships. So the first piece is really feeling seen by your partner, really feeling like your partner sees you and knows how to love you. And this layer is deeply connected to that level of creative alignment. When you have the experience that your partner gets you without you even having to explain yourself, that is an incredible cultivator of passion and of love. So I can speak for me personally. One of the things that's really important for me to be seen and to be loved is to feel that I'm emotionally met by my partner. Like my partner gets my emotions and is able to reflect them and be present with me in them. So this isn't going to be true for every creative energy, but this is true for who I am, that this this emotion, this deep emotional connection creates this sustained feeling of passion and love. Another piece is, is a continued mutual fascination. And what I've discovered is the, the biggest support to continued mutual fascination is each individual in the partnership staying connected to what is what they're personally passionate about. Like not confining or constraining in any way what you're personally passionate about, what your contribution is in the world. And if that means taking space, taking time away from the relationship to focus on that, then that's what needs to happen in order to maintain that passion. Because if we're not passionate in our own selves and our own expression in the world, we're not going to be passionate in our relationships. So even though it can be sometimes scary for people to like let go of that expectation of the partner to show up in a particular way, if we allow our partners to continue to show up as they are, as who they are in their contributions, in their life work, then that is a huge, huge support to their continuing to be passion and love, passion and sexuality in the relationship. So Katie, I'm curious, um, in listening to that, and this is totally, (laughs) this is for my own uh, interest is like, what if your passions are completely different? How do you, how do you blend or how do you carry the passion over from those different interests into the shared uh, relationship space? If your passions are completely different, like there's no overlap in anything that can be challenging to bring into a shared field with each other. 
that might be an indication that it's a time for the relationship to diverge. Now, what I've found is it's not, it's not always that passions are completely different. It's that, the, it's that much of them are, but not all of them. Often there is a shared thread. And so it's really about finding that shared thread and cultivating that together, like determining and understanding what is the purpose of you two coming together? What is the intention that you have? What is the common thread just naturally, not that you have to force or to create, but that naturally exists that has brought the two of you together and really cultivating and growing and building that common thread. And I find that often if you look for this, there usually is one because people have come together for a reason. However, often relationships do have a shelf life or an expiration date. We're not, although in our culture, we kind of have this idea that relationships are supposed to last forever, right? Till death do us part. In my experience, that's not actually true. If we're tuning into ourselves and to what is deeply true for each of us as individuals, there's, there's a duration to which relationships optimally last. And that's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to, if we can recognize that, and if we can gracefully exit if and when that's what's necessary for us to continue to be in our passion, to continue to be in our life work and contribution. You said in the beginning that when you did your own research, that the passion piece was a rarity. And I'm curious how that plays into what you're seeing with people as well now. Yeah, one I'm remembering back when I did this research, there was actually a lot of pushback, a lot of reactivity from some of the couples who felt like they knew, they had a belief that in relationship over time, passion was necessarily meant to fade. So the fact that I was even questioning that assumption created some reaction in some of the individuals. I'm just remembering that in this moment. And what I've discovered through that and also since then is one of the reasons that, the, that it's so rare is that number one, often people stay in relationships even when they're no longer growing relationships. So their relationship stagnates and they no longer stake as deeply connected to whatever their passion is. And so then that kind of kills the passion within the relationship itself. That's probably the main way actually in which that unfolds. Because what I found is when people follow their true self, what's true for them, they can be in relationship with someone, but then they can recognize, okay, this relationship is no longer supportive to the truth of who I am. So they can choose to step out of that relationship and into a new one, or they can choose to grow in that relationship to see how, if, and how they can grow in that relationship. They can get support from, for example, relationship coaching. They can get support from classes that they can take, really start to do a self-inquiry, a relationship inquiry with each other to move to that next level of relationship. If, you're, if we're not growing either from one level of relationship to the next or by moving into a new relationship, then it's likely that things are going to stagnate and that the passion is going to going to um, decline and eventually burn out. Okay, I have an I have another question off of that, which is in the past. So I've been in relationship with my husband for 20 years. But in my past, the people that I'm passionately 
attracted to don't seem to be the type of people I should be in relationship with for a longer period of time. How do you, how do you justify that? Or how do you work with that? Yeah, I, I'd love to ask a question about this. How are you defining passion? I mean, I guess I think of it as just like that attraction where you're like, oh my God, that person's so hot. Like, <laughs> I just want to tear their clothes off. And yeah. <laughs> Good. Yeah. So it sounds like you're defining it in terms of like a lustful kind of attraction. I don't necessarily define passion in that way. I define passion as a strong sexual attraction. Absolutely. But it's, it's more balanced. It's more in the body. There's a presence in the body with it. There's a deep experience of pleasure in it. And there's not necessarily this sense of excitement. We, we have this construct, this idea in our culture that we're supposed to be excited, like almost in a butterfly kind of way about people to whom we're attracted. And I've actually found that that's, that's a challenge to the relationship. Usually the people that we're excited about are the people that are mirroring one of our parental patterns. So it's not about passion in terms of excitement. It's about passion in terms of being drawn to the person, continually wanting to create a sexual a deepening sexual and love relationship with that person and just feeling like a natural resonance and natural draw we've talked on the podcast today about our life partner right and and or our current partner but really what i hear you saying it seems that it could be applied to relationships with siblings relationships with friends etc does it transfer or is, should we think about this specifically with our spouse or, or current partner. It absolutely transfers to any relationship in your life. Yeah. Creativity doesn't have limits to where it applies. And you could apply this to your business relationships, to your friendships, to your family relationships, to your romantic partnerships, any and all of the above. Do we put too much pressure on our mates and significant other almost expecting too much of what we may think of life fulfillment from that single person and perhaps the answer lies in simply just doing more with more people to create a fuller bucket from the different types of people that can fulfill your entire life do we expect too much from our partner and maybe in covid that's really irritated that because you only have this one person to lean on and be that co-creator do we expect too much from our life partner Yes, absolutely. Most of us do. And, and we expect too much of ourselves in that relationship as well. This is the underlying piece that contributes to us feeling like we have to compromise ourselves, or to us expecting that our partner should compromise themselves. You know, if you, if you look evolutionarily at us as a species, um, the majority of our evolution took place in more communal structures where we had more individuals to relate to, to play off of, to create with. So when we expand our relating, and I'm not speaking of sexual relating, I'm speaking of creative relating. When we expand our relating to 
a vaster network of people that does naturally take the pressure off of our partner having to show up as everything for us, right? It allows us to see where we naturally feel resonance with each individual and let our life expression come through those relationships in each of those unique ways. Katie, a lot of people think of relationship as unless you're compromising, you're not in a relationship or a relationship meets compromise and your position is radically different. Can you share more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So this is a beautiful question. This is this is like a cultural belief that we have. This is one of the things that I discovered in that early research project that I did that the status quo belief is that relationship necessarily means compromise. I would say great relationships necessarily mean minimal compromise. (laughs) And this doesn't mean that you're always just focusing on yourself and doing what you want to do. There's ways of showing up in support and service to your partner that is a conscious sacrifice something that you're doing that's not necessarily who you are, but you're consciously choosing to do it because you love this person. That's where the gap is. That that creates that space to be able to be with someone and be an individual and be in service to the relationship all at the same time. So I, I always encourage my clients and my friends and my family to choose where they're sacrificing their themselves, choose where they're sacrificing who they are in a conscious way rather than in an unconscious have to, should kind of way. And letting the majority of their life and their relationship be focused on the true expression of their creative nature, the true expression of who they are and their contribution in the world. One thing I do want to ask Katie is how can people find you and uh, learn more about the work that you do? So the best way to find me is through my website, www.katie-love.com. They can also email me directly, but there's a way of contacting me through a form on my website. And that's usually the best way because then I can get a little bit more specific Thank you so much for joining us, Katie. Thank you.